Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Ann. All right. Uh, today, the topic of the sermon is going to be, what would Jesus do? Uh, for those of you that showed up after Sabbath school, my name is Len Jenkins. I'm uh, the treasurer and the elder here at the Beaumont Church, and uh, the majority of our church members are at the uh, uh, revival seminar down in uh, at the Loma Linda Filipino Church. And so uh, today we're going to have a, an abbreviated church service. Any time before I preach, though, I always give the disclaimer that I am not a pastor. I've had no uh, real classes in uh, Bible or preaching or anything. I'm just uh, one of you that uh, got to uh, do this today. So uh, if I say something that you don't like or you don't agree with, come back in two weeks and the pastor will be here and then everything will be good again. So uh, I uh, well, I have to tell my story to the people that were in the back of the church. I told them I'd tell them that uh, I, I accused them of that they looked like Baptists. They were all sitting in the back of the church, and the Baptists normally sit in the back, back row Baptists. The front rows are Amen rows in Baptist churches, and so a. a, a a Baptist pastor was getting ready to, they were going to build a new church. And so uh, the pastor said, well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, build the church and then just have three rows in the back of the church. And then as those three rows fill up, then a new pew would pop up behind it. And then as it filled up, then the pews would keep popping up and people would keep moving forward as uh, as he preached or as they came in. And uh, one of the elders said, well, you know, Pastor, that that's a good idea, and we only ask that we have one thing, and that is that behind the podium that there'll be a trap door, and at 12 o'clock the trap door opens up and you disappear. So maybe we could... But anyway. We're going to talk about what would Jesus do uh, we 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 all want to be uh, good Christians. We all want to do what Jesus would want us to do. We all desire to do that with our hearts. But sometimes our human emotions and our human eyes get in the way of of what Jesus would really like us to do, and and how His heart is compassion in a form of compassion for all of us. And sometimes we don't look at other people with compassion or forgiveness or judgmental and items like that. And and so I've got several examples where people that had spent three and a half years, there's some time frame in there, uh, would would in fact believe that Jesus would want something to happen when in fact Jesus didn't. And so he would have to correct them. And so periodically Jesus has to correct us in our attitudes uh, towards other people and how we act and how we believe that we we think we're doing uh, Jesus a service by either correcting somebody or or trying to quiet someone down. And the first example we're going to look at today and that God actually wants us to do something that might be different. And if we spend 
more and more about Jesus and we, we read the word more and we see how he, how he acted, he wants us to act like he acted. He wants us to be loving, kind, compassionate, and forgiving. So the first one is blind Bartimaeus, and uh, we're all pretty familiar with that in that, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, and and as they're getting ready to... Pa- Do you think Jesus goes anywhere by mistake? You know, I don't. You know, I mean, if you look at Z- Zacchaeus, it says Jesus took him under the tree where Zacchaeus was. He was where Zacchaeus needed to be. And so I think that he went through that particular town to find blind Bartimaeus, to prove a point. So he he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's going to be crucified. And Bartimaeus is out on the the uh, stoop begging and he hears a parade going by because everywhere Jesus went it was a parade I mean he was he was an important person and people liked to be by him and people crowded around him and wherever he went he was always followed Um, and he was on his way to Jerusalem he was going for the Passover so lots of people were on their way to the Passover at that time and so uh, it's not wouldn't be uncommon for a lot of people to show up and then walk together Uh, and you remember when Jesus and his family went down for his first Passover and he was gone for basically three days or before his parents even knew he was gone because they were moving in a huge group. And so they just figured they was that the that their son was with someone else in the group before it dawned on him that he wasn't there. Which means that if we don't keep our eye on Jesus, sometimes he'll disappear from us as well. He won't be where we thought he was. But that's another sermon that I'm not doing today. And so blind Bartimaeus hears Jesus. And so the people around Jesus say to this man that wants to meet Jesus, be quiet. You're disrupting the event. Don't be loud. Don't be wanting to get the master's attention. But blind Bartimaeus doesn't care. He, he knows he only has this one opportunity to find Jesus and to get what he really wants, and that's his sight back. And so as Jesus is walking by, he stops and asks that he be brought to him. And one of the, it says, and throwing aside his coats, So blind Bartimaeus could very well have been naked when he showed up to Jesus. This is a good thing he was blind because he certainly didn't know that. But he came and he stood before Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what would you have me do? Does God ever ask questions that he doesn't know the answer to? No, I mean, he wants us to vocalize these things. When, when we, well, God knows that I need a safe home. God knows that I need a car that will work. God knows that I need a safe environment. He would like you to ask him for him just the same. Because he says, I have lots of things saved up for you, but you don't get them because you never asked me for them. 
I mean, he doesn't just, he gives us a lot of things that we don't deserve, but a lot of times he likes us to at least ask. And so blind Bartimaeus says to him, I would like my sight. And so the Lord says, okay, you got your sight. And he gave him his sight back. But if blind Bartimaeus had paid attention to the people around Jesus, and we are the people around Jesus, we are the ones that know him. We want to be close to him. And so sometimes it can happen in church. It can happen somewhere else where you have somebody that that uh, makes noise or something and we kind of give them one of those looks or something or the children act up uh, that that we think, well, that's shh, quiet. Well, Jesus wants that little child here. We want that parent here. Uh, one one Sabbath, I'm I'm here, and and over on this side, there was a, a mother and a father and a, a two very active little children, and the little boy got overly anxious and started making a lot of noise, and the father got embarrassed. Do any fathers get embarrassed of children periodically? And so the father grabbed the child, and the mother took the child by the hand, and they headed for the back door. And so I got up out of my seat and chased them down and took the little boy from him and walked back into the sanctuary. And the parents followed me back into the sanctuary. And they sat through the rest of the sermon while I kept the little kid entertained with all kinds of wonderful things. But it's a matter that that people feel self-conscious sometimes if their babies act up. You need to make sure that you let them know that that's all right. Because if there's not a pastor or a preacher that can't over-clouder than a whining baby, he needs to go back to, to church and to school. You ought to be able to, to make your point without worrying about that. We had three children, and we were in the Catholic church for a while, and, uh, and one day one of my children was acting up. And so we had little words while we sat there, and and uh, and so she acted up a little more, and then she finally quieted down. And after church, a lady turns around to me and says, "You should not bring your children to church. It's supposed to be quiet and reverent in here, and all you did was disrupt my my service." And some of those of you that know me may know that, that sometimes I well, luckily the Lord's taken away most of the quick wit and sharp tongue that I have. Uh, but uh, but I told her that that I didn't think that that's what Jesus would have said. That I think he was happy to have the children around him and by him, even if they were a little noisy. Yeah, well, thank you. That's two of us then. That's all right. I'm, I'm in favor of that. It, it, we, well, we, I'll, I'll just bring that up. And when, uh, if, if we look in Matthew 19.13, Matthew 19.13. So I haven't got any fancy slides or things like that. I just have this little book here that I spend a lot of time reading. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at today is this little book. And the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So his disciples thought that Jesus would be bothered if the little kids would be there. And they've been with him, and they're, they're thinking, well, it's important that the master speak to the adults and not worry about the little kids. And so we need to make sure that we think that primary Sabbath schools and uh, the children's Sabbath school is an important thing. Because our, child, our children are, in fact, the church of today and the church of tomorrow. And so we need to uh, be extremely aware of that and, and be willing to donate our time and our money to make that work. Luke 9.49. Luke 9.49. And John answered, this is John, he's one of the sons of thunder, James and John and Peter were Jesus' three best friends on earth. And when you find out people that made the majority of the errors that we'll talk about today, it was those three, Jesus' absolute best friends that got to be in on lots of special events and got to be closest to him and loved him the most, they are the ones that made the majority of the errors in doing what Jesus really wanted him to do. Now this is Luke 10, no, Luke 9, 49. Now Jesus, no, now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. And lots of times, we I mean, I'm, I'm happy when I see the Latter-day Saints coming around my neighborhood handing out tracts on, on Jesus. Because they're all pretty innocuous type tracts. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in what the, the LDS stand for. But it's a matter that, but I think that anything that draws people to Christ is a good thing. And that I think that we, ha- we have an opportunity to, to work on the foundations. I think Adventism is, is a, uh, a religion of, of the mind and of the heart that we, in fact, you, you, I never read so much until I became an Adventist. I mean, even getting six years worth of college, I never read so many books and so many things. I mean, we just have a, a huge amount of, of resources at our hands. The most prolific woman writer in the United States, possibly in the world. Over a hundred thousand pages of documents she's written from the, the God, Lord's messenger. And so as, as you, you need to think these things through. And as Adventists, we do that. Things make sense. And so as coming from a, a Baptist through the Catholic into the Adventist church, a friend of mine and a client of mine had one of those little literature racks, one of those little racks you can go out and take things from. And as I would come and trade his... Uh, 
accounting papers and things that we would have little religious talks and periodically I'd take one of the religious magazines that he had and I would read it and then we would talk about it. And so it was a matter that it was a piece of literature that got me interested in the church. And then he found a tape of somebody that I could listen to, that I could relate to, that was very logical and methodical. And and I listened to it and I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. I want to know more about that. And so I just showed up at a Seventh-day Adventist church one day. I just got dressed up and came and, and sat there. And and the, the one of the associate pastor's wife says, isn't it a wonderful day? We're one day closer to Jesus' coming. And I had gone to church all of my life. And I don't think that I've ever heard anybody, you know, say that more than probably eight or nine times. That in the Baptist church, the book of Revelation, they, the past, I only heard one person talk about the book of Revelation in the Baptist church that I was brought up in. And he said that it's a mysterious book and it's way too confusing for us to understand. And so I'm not going to preach from it. And then in the Catholic Church, I only heard one one particular discussion about the book of Revelation. And it was, well, it's an old book. It's a closed book that it dealt with uh, the Romans. So and it was all written mystery terms. And uh, so we don't need to try to discuss that at all. And so they wrote the book of Revelation off. And so to, I, I never wrote the book of Revelation off because in Sunday school we would study some of the book of Revelation. One of the most depressing ones that I ever remember reading was about the 144,000. And even at 13 years old I said, well, if only 144,000 people are going to heaven, there ain't no chance I'm one of them, so to heck with it. We all know that's not the case, but when you're young and nobody explains that to you, you have a tendency to think that only 144,000 people might go to heaven. And so in the book, so our our denomination is a denomination of the mind. And so sometimes that affects our heart. We, we look at everything from a logical, methodical point of view, and sometimes we forget the heart aspect of that. How about the temple tax? We'll look at Peter, another one of... Uh, it, when, when you were... I, uh, I told you that, that when I got married, I had I went to just one afternoon at at the meeting with the priest, and it was late. And uh, and uh, then when my oldest daughter turned seven years old, one of my employees uh, came to me and said, "You know, you really ought to have your children brought up in the church, the Catholic Church." Because after we were married, we didn't go to church very much. Kind of hit and miss. We we were what I refer to as C's and E's. We would go on Christmas and Easter uh, just to make your parents happy. I'm sure some of you got children that do that even today. Uh, go to make mom and dad happy on Christmas and Easter. And uh, so 
we uh, we got her involved in the going to catechism. And then we put her in Catholic schools. She has uh, 13 or 11 years of Catholic education. My uh, middle daughter has eight years of Catholic education, and my son has six years of Catholic education. Uh, because when I became an Adventist in 1995, I took my children out of the Catholic school. And then, because uh, I could no longer in good faith send them there. And so uh, I, we started taking our daughter to church because as growing up, I remember that the only thing that actually kept me going lots of time in my life was the fact that I knew I had a Savior and I knew that he loved me and that he wanted the best for me. And I wanted my children to know that. I would like my grandchildren to know that. That they, they have someone they can turn to when everyone else lets you down. And everyone else will let you down at some time in your life. And so I said, okay, we should start sending her to school. And then we, so then we started going to church every week. Uh, actually, one year I went to church every single day for an entire year. 365 days I went to church every morning. I was a Eucharistic minister, which means I could give the body and blood of Christ during communion. Uh, I was on the finance committee, I, uh, and so and I and I also ran their bingo for them, and uh, so I ran their bingo. So I was generating three to four thousand dollars a month uh, for the church, and so uh, the pastor and I became fairly good friends. And so uh, he asked me. Uh, well, then I noticed that when your family comes up to take communion, you don't take communion. Why is that? And I told him, well, it's because, as I understand it, that you really believe that this is the body and blood of Christ. And, and, I, uh, I, and if you're not a member of your church, then you shouldn't take communion. He says, well, then you should become a Catholic because you would be a good example for other people. So I said, well, I'm not going to go to these one-year classes. And so he says, well, come have breakfast with me. And so we had breakfast. And, and, uh, and we, when we were talking about uh, communion, I used the word transubstantiation. And that's what happens when they believe that Christ actually enters the bread and the wine during transubstantiation. And I used that word, and he says, well, why don't you come to church on... Uh, or come to confession on Friday night, and we'll—I'll give you can make your confession, and we'll do your uh, uh, confirmation, and you can take communion on Christmas morning. And so, I—I I snuck in the back door of the Catholic Church. I mean, I—I—I I, I I know enough about it to get in trouble sometimes. So I didn't go through all their training and teaching, and so. And, and my confession was this, because I always believed that my sins were forgiven and I can only, can, God and God only forgive sins, not somebody else. And so I told him, I've either by omission or commission violated every one of the Ten Commandments. That was it. That was my confession. That I've either by actively doing something or not doing something, I've broken all the commandments. 
And uh, and so I had to do a couple of Hail Marys and a few Our Fathers, and then I was off the hook. And so, uh, but during your confirmation is where this whole story started. I picked two names. I picked you. You pick a. Normally, your parents will give you a different name when you are confirmed into the church. And I picked Paul and Peter. Paul, because a lot of times the Lord has had to knock me off my high horse to get my attention. And Peter, because I spend half of my life with my foot in my mouth. And that's what Peter does. He's all the time speaking before he thinks. He's all the time talking about what he thinks ought to be going on. And I think that the Lord picked people like that to let us know that we can all be saved, that there's nobody that he can save to the uttermost, that there's nobody that that can go down far enough that he can't save you. And he's quick to point out on these occasions that even when we think we know we're doing the right thing, well, you look at Paul, for example. I mean, Paul... He, he was absolutely sure that this little sect of Christian followers needed to be eradicated. And so that was his job. He was going out making sure that they got thrown into jail or, or killed. And God finally took him off his horse and taught him the right thing he ought to be doing. We talked in Sabbath school about, about repercussions. Paul spent the rest of his life probably not being able to see very well because of what had to happen to get his attention, that he was blind for three days and had scales on his eyes. That sometimes you can wish things would change, but they don't happen that way. So if we look at the temple tax, Matthew seventeen twenty four. Matthew seventeen twenty four. Then they came to Capernaum. Those who received the temple tax came to Peter and says, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, without thinking, of course, because who owned the the temple? I mean, whose house was it? It was Jesus' house. So he didn't have to pay to use the temple. It was his home. But Peter goes, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated this saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or tax? From their sons or from the strangers? And Peter said to him, From the strangers, Jesus. Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, because Jesus never embarrasses anybody. He could have said, well, Peter, you said that we'd pay the temple tax, then pony it up, you know, or go ask Judas for it or something. But he always was very compassionate with all of his people, and that's how he is with us. Even though we may think that that he's he's being hard on us or something, he's always being compassionate and he always loves us. Nevertheless, lest you offer them, go offend them, then go to the sea, cast in your hook, take up the fish that comes out, First, and then when you open its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that, give it to them for you and for me. So, I mean, when you may think that you know that what the right answer is, you need to think, contemplate. Is this really what Christ would have me to do?
but he he was willing to help him out. Then uh, we'll look keep with Peter for a minute. Matthew eighteen twenty one. We'll go back up a little farther. Eighteen twenty one. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So I'm thinking Peter is probably pretty happy about that. I'm going to forgive him seven times. That was pretty good, huh? Because in the Old Testament it talked about if somebody took, you killed somebody's lamb, you had to pay him back seven times. And so he figured this is a good deal. Uh, I'll do it seven times. No, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Now, do you really think he meant 490 times? Do you think God's really keeping track of that? So that when you get to 479, he goes, it's getting awfully close now. It won't be long now, and I can tag him out. You're going to have to go to, you're not going to be saved anymore. What does he say? Where are your sins? How far away are your sins from him? As far from the east to the west. He puts your sins behind you. He, I always say that when, when, you, when you pray to God, you have to tell him what your sin is. You can't just say, my sin is the same as yesterday. Because he goes, well, what did you do yesterday? You see, because he says he won't remember your sin. So you have to tell him what you've done wrong. You can't just take that short out. Well, I've done the same thing I did yesterday. Because he doesn't remember. He doesn't talk about that. Because you've asked for forgiveness and it's gone. I have, let's see. Oh, even John the Baptist. You remember when he came to him? He said, here's the... Jesus says to him, I want you to baptize me. And John goes, nope, you need to baptize me. No, that's not how it's going to work today. You're baptizing me. So even John, who Jesus himself was said he was the greatest prophet since Elijah, made mistakes. We need to... When that happens, we need to recognize that God forgives us of those mistakes when we ask him. That he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so even when we make mistakes, sometimes it's a matter that we need to, uh, we just need to come to him and know that he forgives us. Philip, John 14, 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 14, 8. Then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be suffice for us. And Jesus said, Have I been with you so long yet, Philip, that you do not know me? I mean, even people that were close to him didn't recognize that Jesus and God were the same. That if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So we need to recognize that when when we learn about Jesus, we're learning about the Father. I have some friends and some ex-clients that that basically only read the New Testament because they said, I don't like the Old Testament. That's a mean God in the Old Testament. 
So they only look at the New Testament where there's love and happiness and kindness and things. But if you read the New Testament and you get to Revelation, it's, there's going to be a lot of whining and crying going on. Disbelief. Thomas. His buddy, show, Jesus, shows up in the room and Thomas isn't there. And Thomas goes, well, if I don't put my fingers in his hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe that he's actually risen from the dead. Lots of times we we need to have, we want Jesus to give us some kind of a sign. If he wants me to do that, he needs to do this. And sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. But we need to know that if he said it, he meant it and he wants us to do it. I mean, even when uh, Peter got or Peter got out of jail. Remember, he went back and he bangs on the door because they're inside praying that Peter will be released from jail. And Peter shows up to the door, and they go, "Well, that's probably not Peter." So, I mean, we're praying for certain things, and then when it's happening all around us, we don't recognize it. We need to have Holy Spirit eyes. We need to see what's going on around us. But Peter, but Jesus did in fact tell him, go ahead, put your hands in my side and in, in my, prove, prove for yourself. And he's more than willing to allow it to prove, prove to yourself. I mean, I, have, have you ever laid down fleeces before? God, if you want me to do this or if you don't want me to do this, please let me know. I, uh, I had this feeling at one time that that the Holy Spirit was telling me that I should give some money to this one person. And so I, I said, well, all right, Lord, how much do you want to give him, me to give them? And he gave me a number, and that number was way too high. But, you know, I didn't mind $20 or $30, but when, when he said, I want you to give him $100, I went, oh, really? Well, uh, now maybe this is just bad pizza or something, you know, I'm just making all this up in my head. So I, 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 I just ignored the whole thing, and as Sabbath got close by, it came to me again. I need you to give this woman a hundred dollars. So I put the hundred dollars in cash in an envelope and put it in my pocket. And then I said to God, if you want me to give that person a hundred bucks, I'm going to walk up and say to her, how are things going today? And she's going to say back to me, Everything's going all right, but I'm a, I'm a little short on cash. How's that? I mean, that, I mean, I thought that was a good deal with God. I'll, I mean, I'll do both sides of the conversation, and if, if that's what you want me to do, really give her the hundred bucks, then you just go ahead and have this happen this way. So at Sabbath school, we happened to meet over by the little water cooler we had, and and I put it down and I take a little drink and I says to her, how are you doing today? She says, very nice. She says, but I'm a little short on cash. And I reached in my pocket, handed her the envelope and just walked away. I said, the Lord wanted me to give this to you. But it, I mean, it was a forbade. I mean, and so sometimes God played. I mean, he'll allow us to play those games with him, you know. 
But you need to you need to recognize his voice in your head. And in order to do that, you need to be clear thinking. You need to be even and straight with him. And then he can talk to you and he's be willing to bless you when you're willing to do things like that. Uh, and the Lord knows that he can trust me to do those things. I mean, he, we, at one time, my wife and I were, we had our grandchildren with us. And we're driving down the road in a part of town we are never in. And my grandkids are going, oh, we're hungry. Does anybody else have grandkids at all? They never seem to eat less they're with, with you. We're hungry. Mom didn't feed us today or whatever. And so, well, what would you like? Well, I want pancakes. And this is at night. And so I goes, well, we'll go to the IHOP. I know there's one over here somewhere. So I get off this freeway in a part of town I am never in. And we go in and we eat our pancakes. And everybody's going to go wash their hands and get ready to go. And I paid the bill. And so I, like dads do, I went out to the car and left mom in charge of all the grandkids trying to round them up and get them to the car. So I'm sitting in the car and a lady walks up to me and says to me, my car just broke down over there. I need to take a taxi over to get the part so that my husband can fix the car. And I goes, how much do you need? And she says, the, the amount of the taxi is $12.75. How much money do you think I had in my pocket? $12.75. Every penny that I had, but it was the exact amount that she needed to get where she needed to be. And so I'm someplace I never am, doing something I would never do, but the Lord put me there so that I could make sure that woman got to be where she needed to be. And when you open yourself up to do God's will, he will find places for you to be and put you in situations you need to be in where he needs someone. Because as they say, God owns the the cattle on a thousand hills, but... I've, being the treasure, I've never seen a check signed by God before. He gives us the money and then he gives, and we give it to him. I also do a tithing sermon, but I already did that once and every time I do that I end up losing money. Satan gets very angry with me when that happens. So we won't do a tithing sermon today. Uh, let's see. The Mount of Transfiguration. I'll just read some of these now. We won't look at them. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter says, oh, let's build temples here. What do you say? I mean, here's Elijah and Moses up here. And so we should build temples and we'll all worship. We'll, and Jesus said, don't even tell anybody about this. till after I'm gone. And And so even... When we think that we know how Jesus would act or what he'd want us to do, we really need to make sure that we know what Jesus wants us to do. Don't think on our own earthly terms. We need to be doing what he wants us to do. When he was going to go to Jerusalem, Peter gets in front of him and says, Nope, you're not going to Jerusalem. I won't allow it. 
And so what did Peter, what did Satan say about Peter then? Get behind me, Satan. Peter was speaking through, the devil was speaking through Satan. Or the devil put himself between Christ and Satan. Or between Christ and Peter. To try to convince him not to do what needed to be done. And we will be forced with those, we'll be faced with those types of choices periodically. Especially as time gets short. We need to be resounding now that we need to know how Christ is coming back and that he's coming back soon and that we won't be swayed when the time comes. Because you won't have time. There will be no second decisions when that time comes. When the mark of the beast is given, there's no change in sides after that. He that is clean will be clean. He that is filthy will be filthy. And then Christ is coming back. Peter in the washing of the feet. You're not washing my feet. Well, if I don't wash your feet, then you won't have any part of me. And then he goes, well, okay then, in that case, wash all of me. No, you don't understand. It's Peter, I love Peter. That's why I picked that name, because a lot of times I don't know what's going on around me, and he has to show me. Mary broke a flask of oil on Jesus' feet and anointed him for his burial. And both Judas and the rest of the disciples were a little angry about that. We could have used that money. So when people want to do something for Jesus, we need to allow them to do that. Lazarus, that's a good one. We'll talk about him for a minute and then that'll be it. But Lazarus, when he, it's in John 11. It says that actually Jesus went away and they, and Lazarus got sick and he came back and, and they sent word to Jesus saying, the guy that you love is sick, you need to hurry. Well, they didn't say you need to hurry and come back. They just figured the matter that Jesus liked Lazarus would be enough to cause him to come back. But Jesus needed Lazarus to die. And so Jesus waited until he was sure that it was done. Because Jesus could have done it. Does Jesus need to be there to heal you? All he has to do is say the word. We have several examples of him just speaking it and someone far away being healed. And the different, there's no difference today. He can heal from heaven as, just as easily as he can if he was here walking on earth with us. He can say the word and you can be healed. And so when, uh, when he finally shows up, and that's probably one of the greatest examples of that death is asleep, when Jesus himself says that Lazarus sleeps, and they said, well, then he's getting better, obviously. And Jesus said, no, no, he's really dead. And so when he gets back, the first one to come out and find him is Mary. And Mary goes, let's see, no, it was Martha. Martha showed up first. Then Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. And and Mary was sitting in the house when Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask in God's name, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And then Martha, who is always quick-witted, says, I know that he will rise again in resurrection on the last day, which ought to give give some credence to the fact that you don't die and go to heaven right away, that there's a resurrection and it's on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not die, but shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And so she went out and can you just, I mean, you can just picture what Martha looked like. I mean, she's the one that wanted Mary to get up and start helping her serve as opposed to, to sitting still and listening to Jesus talk. And Martha's going, if you had only been here, she probably used a fairly brisk tone with Christ. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. So then Mary hears it and Mary just comes out and runs and just grabs his feet. And then Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb. Because Lazarus, they had to make sure, because you remember Jesus raised raised the little girl that had died. And so people said "Ah, she was probably just sick, probably never really died. And then he raised the son the the mother for the, the only son for a woman as they were going to the gravesite and you had to bury him in that same day and so he said well probably wasn't people were saying probably wasn't really dead probably just uh passed out and sick and Jesus just woke him up so he needed to make sure that Lazarus was dead 4 days before he showed up And then he called him forth and rose him from the grave to let us know that he's going to give us eternal life in the end. So my prayer for you today is that you will, in fact, recognize that that sometimes when we act and sometimes when we say things, thinking that we're doing God's will or that we're that that we should think that we should we should, in fact, rethink that and talk about pray Understand what the will of God is, because the more, the closer you are to Him, the more you will act like Him. The more you understand His real mission in life, the more you'll be able to share that with others. Uh, thanks for showing up today. We're going to sing the closing song. Uh, next week will be basically the same uh, revised kind of version because there'll be the uh, seminar that's still going on. And so I believe someone else is going to do Sabbath school, but I will probably still do the the sermon. And I'm still, most of the time when I, because I preach a lot in Sacramento, I fly back and forth to do that. Uh, lots of times the Lord will tell impress me uh, early on as to what I'm supposed to talk about. And get, basically, I, I know the songs and the title and the scripture almost immediately. But this has not been the case. I've had to uh, plead and struggle with him to get him to let me know what I'm supposed to do here. So uh, uh, pray for me this week as he and I continue to visit about what we'll talk about next week. So the closing song is...